Hi there, this is Gary Turner, your Value Through Vulnerability host. I had the absolute pleasure of welcoming Charles Green from Trusted Advisor Associates onto the podcast. And I just had a really, really enjoyable conversation in many ways because Charles marries two, two real big passions of mine, which is the world of people plus the world of sales. And I, but I just learned so much from him with regard to trust. So the trust equation was the reason that I reached out to Charles originally after Helen Amory introduced me to, to his work in episode one of this podcast series. But I just found so much depth, so much obviousness, but at the same time, so much challenge and depth in the topic of trust uh, and the approach that Charles takes to trust, which is through the interpersonal angle. And I really like his comment that all relationships that are complicated, complex, and non-purely transactional will all have some grounding in trust. And I think that's a really helpful reflection in our busy lives when we're rushing around from one job to the next. How often are we actually offering trust? How trustworthy are we if we're delaying things or we're not turning up on time, etc.? All of those those issues that we often just pass off of just day-to-day busyness are actually breeding mistrust to some extent. I found that a really interesting reflection for me personally. I also enjoyed um, Charles's comments around that the easiest way to increase trust is just through reliability, you know, through integrity. If you say you're going to make a promise, keep it. The more you keep those promises, the more you build trust. And it seems so beautifully obvious, but I think we do lose that that realisation in our day-to-day busyness. I just think one other um, advanced comment that I wanted to share with you as someone in sales, and it, and it really resonates with me, is this internal conflict between wanting to do the right thing by your customer, standing in integrity, but at the same time needing to extract money from their wallet. You know, trust at the end of the day allows you to manage both. You can have your cake and eat it. You can lead with integrity. You can lead um, from an ethical place and still make an awful lot of money, provided you do it from a base of trust. So, yeah, that's just my initial reflection. There's so much in this. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. I enjoyed coming at these very human traits of vulnerability, awareness, etc., from a sales angle uh, for the first time. Really, really interesting. And uh, please do feedback to Charles and or myself once you've listened to the podcast. Thank you very much for now. Hello and welcome to the Value Through Vulnerability podcast, which is dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. I'm your host, Gary Turner, and I'm really grateful to welcome today Charles Green from Trusted Advisor. How are you there, Charles? I'm terrific. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for having me on. No, lovely. Thank, thank you very much for coming along. So just as we get going, would you mind giving the listeners you know, a brief introduction? Who are you, you know, who do you work for, and what are you passionate about, Charles? Sure thing. I'm uh, Charles Green. I'm lucky enough to work for myself. My company is Trusted Advisor Associates. That is based on my having written three books, the first of which was The Trusted Advisor back in 2000. I was co-author of that. Prior to that, I spent 20 years in management consulting. Prior to that, I got an MBA from Harvard Business School and an undergraduate degree in philosophy. And obviously, for your listeners, I'm American. Wow, that's that, that's powerful. So how, how are those different things in your career today brought you to where you are today? Because that's quite a... <laughs> the books and the MBA and also philosophy. So how does that shape up with, with your work today out of interest, Charles? Well, it makes sense in the rear view mirror, but I have to tell you, it never did looking forward. Um, 
I think uh, there's sort of a, you know, the combination of a philosophy degree and an MBA is a little schizophrenic. But uh, in, in retrospect, I, I think it, uh, some of the analytical skills you get by studying something like philosophy have turned out to be fairly helpful in understanding business analytically and in integrating some more holistic perspectives, some of which you do, in my opinion. No, fantastic. No, I appreciate that explanation, actually, Charles. So in a bit more detail, would you mind explaining? So Trust Advisor Associates, what, what do you actually do and how do you serve people out of interest? Yes. Well, we've been around since I founded the firm in about 1999. Uh, as I said, I've written three books, The Trusted Advisor in 2000, uh, Trust-Based Selling in 2005, and about six, seven years ago, The Trusted Advisor Field Book. We're a small firm, uh, global. We have about a dozen associates around the world. Uh, we do mostly workshops. I also do some keynote speeches. We do a little bit of coaching. We have some video products. We mainly serve uh, our biggest vertical market is professional services firms. Second biggest is probably a, a tie between the tech sector, financial services, and B2B sales organizations. What all those have in common is they're complicated, complex, non-purely transactional relationships. They, they cost a lot of money. They take a lot of time. Uh, there's a lot of technical expertise involved, and in all of them, in order to you know persuade people to take your advice or to buy from you, the issue of trust comes very front and center. So if your business is more complicated than buying a coffee at Starbucks, uh, trust likely has something to do with it. That's that's what we we help people become trusted advisors to their customers and clients. That's how we put it. That's wonderful. I, I really really love that. I re and, and you know something today, just to give you. Um some insight what's happening in the UK today, Charles. So there's a um, the CIPD, which is the professional network for the people community in the UK. We actually have Rachel Botsman. Oh, yes. About trust as a keynote, literally sure. today, week, which is interesting. So, uh, yeah, she has a particular angle on the subject of trust. Uh, you know, she's coming from the, the sharing economy perspective. Um, you know, trust is a, is a broad church, so to speak. Lots of different ways in which to dive into it. And she's in one piece of it. I'm probably in another piece. Absolutely. Now, that's interesting. I'd like to unpack that a little bit, if I may, with you. Out, sure. out of interest, because um, I have to give a shout out to Helen Amory, who actually introduced me to your fantastic um, model or your, your trust equation, Charles. Just Thank you, Helen. <laughs> Would you mind giving the listeners, for those that may not have heard of the trust equation, a bit of a rundown, what that is, how it came about, and how, how it's helpful? Sure. Mind. Uh, let, let me context it first. Most of what I deal with is interpersonal trust, how people come to trust each other. There are two sides to that relationship, one who does the trusting and one who is trusted. And you actually, you actually have to be able to do both. You can't just be one. The trust equation that you're asking about has to do with being trusted, with being trustworthy. And I think you, it was probably the most uh, popular, you know, immediately, instantly, aha kind of thing in the book, The Trusted Advisor. It basically says we can think of the components of trustworthy as four parts, and we put them in the form of an equation, which for a lot of our audience is, they like that. The equation is C plus R plus I over S. And those letters stand for credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. And we can, we can dive into the definitions, although they probably sound a little bit self-evident just from, from those, uh, those comments. Uh, just to be clear, by putting it in that 
in that equation format, uh, we, we didn't really intend it as a data-based thing, although we have since done a lot of research on it and actually have some data. We initially intended it really as just a, a heuristic device, a, 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 a mental model. Um, and one of the factors we put in the denominator because it just makes it a lot more interesting. I mean, mathematically, we could have expressed it as A plus B plus C plus D. We flipped one of them to show an inverse, and, and it turns out that's made it a lot more interesting. Uh, contrary to our expectations, though, the, the formula would suggest self-orientation is the most powerful one. Turns out it's not. But we can get into that as we, as we go along. No, great. Well, thanks a lot for that introduction. It's, it's certainly something that I've been cross-checking with other sort of research that's actually out there. There's, there's actually some research by the University of Bath in the UK, Charles. Uh -huh. again, and it's really interesting how it shows up very similar approaches around sort of ability, predictability, integrity, and these sort of things. So there's... Yes, that's, that's part of that sort of classic definition from the psychology yeah. uh, angle of things, that particular terminology, which is pretty similar. Great. So as we do get going, so obviously I'd like us to, to sort of focus around the trust equation, almost if I may, Charles, as our, sure. sort of our hook. And we'll, we'll, okay. go, we'll, we'll go away from there and, and come back as and when. Um, so if I, you mentioned about your clients being sort of financial B2B sales organizations, how did you actually, if I may ask to come back to you for a second, how do you actually, what's your aha moment to go, hang on, I actually really like sales. Trust is a key part of that. You know, yeah. you talk through your journey. How did you end up with that? As a, it's an interesting focus. It is. Um, and it's a great question. And uh, it actually has a, a real, real answer to it. Um, when, well, first of all, I spent 19 years as a, um, uh, as a consultant and as an internal staff person in a large consulting firm. And in, in that process, I got very interested in the, uh, the processes and, and the ways in which clients come to buy from, uh, you know, consulting firms. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intangible service and a complex kind of process. And then when I, uh, another story is how we got into, involved in writing the, uh, the trusted advisor, a bit of an accident really, but the firm I was with also had inherited a model also called the trust equation, an earlier form of it, uh, which was C plus I over R, credibility, intimacy divided by risk. And I always thought it was an intriguing way to present the issue, but I disagreed with the components. The component of risk does not belong in the attributes of trustworthiness. It's an attribute of the situation or of the trustor. So we pulled that out, added the factor of reliability, and replaced the denominator with this notion of self-orientation. Now, we wrote the book, and, and after that book, I thought, well, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, one of my co-authors was really intrigued by the application of trust to leadership, and I was not as intrigued by that but I was very intrigued by the notion of selling and what trust has to do with selling. And I put it this way, everybody who's in sales viscerally knows this internal conflict between wanting to do right by their client or customer, genuinely, honestly, with integrity, and at the same time, the need to extract money from their wallet. And I think there's a, I try to put it that way because I think we all get this sort of tension. And that has always struck me as a really interesting problem. How do you solve that problem, that dichotomous uh, relationship. Most of the ways that people solve it are by destroying it or, or, or ignoring it, you know, just um, either either come down and say the end justifies the means 
or I'm not going to pay attention to that or, you know, burst on through it. Don't worry about it. I really believe that if you understand trust correctly, there is a win-win solution to that problem. You can be fully ethical, fully professional, fully client devoted, and 100% uh, uh, devoted to, to making seriously good money. Uh, and it's a it's a win-win proposition for our customers and clients as well, if you understand how to apply trust to sell it. Wow, there's, there's, there's so much to unpick in that. And obviously, as a, as a fellow salesperson myself, it's it resonates a lot with me, Charles, because... I expect it would. You, you know, the things that I see, and I, I'm seeing this particularly with the rise of technology and other things, is there's selling almost to some extent is what actually puts the fear in people, I think, at times. Because actually what we're really talking about is how do you serve someone? That's right. Roll them into your way of thinking. And I think there's still this very old school sort of used car salesman approach. When it, even today in 2018, when you talk about sales, is that something that, that you see with your clients at times? Oh, absolutely. I think everybody is, is uh, the, the nature of the culture, advertising, used car salesman. That paradigm is front and center in almost everybody's mind. It's a struggle to get out from under it. So I think, uh, and particularly people who come in the, in the professions who want to believe that they are higher than that, that they're dedicated. Nobody joined a consulting firm in order to be a salesperson, ever. Uh, and yet, you know, somewhere in their mid-career, guess what? That's what you have to do. Uh, you have to become part of the business development focus of the firm. And it's a, it's a psychological crisis for people. They can't quite figure out how to square that circle. Uh, the vast majority of them never do. So fear, you mentioned fear, fear is at the heart of it. You know, I don't want to uh, be seen as a used car salesperson. I don't want others to think of me that way. Worse yet, I don't want to think of myself that way. And until people can figure that out, um, they're never going to do an optimal job of either being trusted or being a great salesperson. The really good ones have figured it out. That's great. Is, is, is there a way that you can give us maybe an example, maybe, maybe now, maybe as we go through our, our chat, Charles, as to what, what it looks like with an example client pre working with you and what it looked like afterwards. Is that easy to do? Or is it not really easy to do on this, on this podcast? Uh, no, it's, it's easy to do. Um, I'm thinking, for example, there's a fellow that I've had a few phone conversations with. He's an investment banker in the U S his vertical market sector focus is healthcare. And he read some of my material. We started having conversations over the phone maybe a year ago. We've had four or five. Um, and I was interested by the application. So I told him at the, be at the beginning, you know, he, he said, I'm not sure I can do anything for you. I said, don't worry about it. As long as we're talking about interesting stuff, I'm happy to, you know, engage in these conversations. And, and that's the truth. Uh, as it happens, I'm, I've been able to help him on every phone call. How do I think about this? How do I think about pricing? How do I think about a client that's not returning my calls? How do I think a client that I've invested in but hasn't bought yet? And we walk through all these things, applying trust to them. And lo and behold, about three or four weeks ago, he said, you know, I really have to do something in return. And I said, you really don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm serious, you don't. And he said, no, but I want to. And he's now got me coming into his firm uh, to do a, a, a you know, half-day workshop with him. Now, that's how it works. Uh, I'm not trying to hold myself up as an example here. Uh, it's just what came to mind. I was unattached to getting a sale. I was willing to invest because he's a good guy. He appreciated what I have to say. I was learning something from it. And, you know, maybe if, if not with him, then he'll mention to somebody else, this will be a worthwhile use of my time someday, somehow. 
uh, and and uh, and in fact it was. It ended up being useful. Uh, I mean, I got a sale from him. The key to it is you have to think long term, not short term. You have to think relationships, not transactions. You have to divorce from the outcome. There's a lot of paradoxical things in trust, and it's especially true in sales. If you are detached from the objective of getting the sale, your motives then become clean. Clients don't suspect you anymore. And paradoxically, they actually become more inclined to buy from you, to refer you to others and so forth. So the paradox at the heart of trust-based selling is that if you're willing to stop trying to sell, you actually end up doing a more successful job of selling, but only if you're willing to detach from that as an outcome. And that's just a humble little example of how it works. Uh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing the example because you've, you've role modeled to me there brilliantly the intimacy part of the, of the equation yes. in many ways, which is that vulnerability and that service to offer something without necessarily getting something in return. The, uh, you, you're right on both counts. The, the vulnerability thing, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this because I noticed you've done a lot of work in there. That's absolutely key to the intimacy part of the equation. Uh, and and it's, uh, it also bleeds over into the risk-taking part of trust. It isn't just being trustworthy. Uh, taking a risk in trusting other people, it, that's, that's all about vulnerability. So it works on both sides of that dimension. And you're right, giving, giving up, focusing on service to others, subordinating your own. I'm not saying being crazy. I'm not saying turn yourself into a nonprofit institution. You have to strategically deploy, who am I going to spend time with? Uh, but so much of business these days is focused on micro indicators and micro metrics. And uh, the sales profession, unfortunately, due to all the increases in, in technology and CRM systems and so forth, microscopically focused on sales efficiency. And that's to the detriment of the things we're talking about, the willingness to uh, uh, subordinate uh, uh, one's own goals to someone else, the willingness to focus on others, and the willingness to play long-term. That's really, really interesting for me. So if, could I ask you, your, if you were going to come up with your definition, or if you were going to explain to someone else you didn't understand or couldn't get their head around what vulnerability actually meant, what would your definition of Charles be? For vulnerability just in the moment how would you describe that to someone else uh i i think of it as putting yourself uh in emotional harm's way uh, being willing to share something that might potentially be embarrassing or other people might laugh at or they might misunderstand or they might reject you it's it's making yourself uh emotionally uh at risk in service, you know, to, to a larger goal. Um, it has a lot to do with overcoming your own fears because frankly, we do overestimate the, the horrible things that are going to happen. We, we conjure up demons in the head that are far outsized, but you know, that stuff is real for any human being. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want to be rejected and so forth. Vulnerability is being willing to talk about stuff. Uh, I mean, a classic example in sales is, when somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, we're all tempted to kind of tap dance around and come up with, well, I know this, or I can get that answer, et cetera. The right trust-based answer is, I don't know. And paradoxically, it's the most credible thing that you can say. And nobody's going to doubt you when you say you don't know something. It's remarkably credible. And that's another example of, of the paradox here. By being vulnerable and saying, you know, I don't know the answer to that one. You just open yourself up in theory for a world of hurt. People are going to say, oh my God, you're wasting my time. 
how ignorant are you? How could you not know this? Why are you even standing here? They're not going to say that. The truth is, if you're vulnerable and open and transparent about it, they're most likely to say, well, thanks for, you know, filling me in on that. I, uh, let's see what else we can talk about. So, a roundabout way of answering your question. No, that's, that, that's great. It's really, that's a really detailed way, actually. And there's a couple of strands I'm picking out from our discussion so far as well, uh, Charles, around this. So you spoke about the long-termism, almost of the relationships and of intimacy and, and how difficult it seems to be still, because I'm guessing to some extent, because the financial models that we operate within are still far too short-term. So it yes. seems to me, and this is coming to me in the moment as we speak, the systems that we operate within to some extent are making it more difficult for people to be, to be vulnerable because they can't look at it long-term to some extent. That is absolutely correct. I, I really think that in the sales world in particular, including the B2B sales world, the systems uh, have turned out not to be our friends. Uh, most of them are transactional in the extreme. The obsession for behavioral metrics, because we can collect it, we must. Um, uh, yeah, you know, there's this, there's this terrible phrase, uh, you can't manage it unless you can measure it. That's just not true. There's a, there's a thousand ways to manage without measuring it. Uh, but, you know, we've, we've kind of bought into that. And because of all the power of data processing and AI and, and behavioral metrics and IoT and all that good stuff, we're, we're tracking all these minor, minor, trivial, third, fourth order metrics. And we lose track of uh, the A, the long term, B, the human side of things, uh, C, the relationship side of things. All those go to the detriment of taking a long term perspective. I mean, anybody listening out there, let's say you're a 42 year old salesperson and you're worried about meeting your six month quota or your quarterly quota or something, my advice would be, unless you plan on retiring tomorrow and don't care about your reputation, you should focus on, you're gonna be working for 20 more years. Your reputation <clears throat> is gonna be the source of your success in your chosen profession. And uh, you should not only be careful of that, you should value that. You should be accruing to your reputation. And your reputation, is among other people, and it has to do with whether you focus on them, not you, whether you're looking at the long-term benefit for them or the short-term benefit for you. These things accrue in a very real and meaningful way. Mm. It's, it's really interesting. I'll add this to the show notes um, at the end of our um, discussion, uh, Charles, but you, you've written a, an excellent um, white paper that people can download on your, on your website where you've, as you say, you followed up on some of the more sort of evidence base behind the trust equation. Yes. What was interesting for me, and we're talking about it a lot already, is this, you know, the humanness of work in many ways. Right. The intimacy part and the self-orientation part for me, and I think this is confirmed in your white paper, these are really the, you know, these are the exponential growth factors for me in that equation. Is that something you would agree or challenge? How, how, how I, to I totally agree. In that equation, two of the factors are what you might call, for lack of a better term, rational. <clears throat> and the other two, for lack of a better term, let's call them emotional. The two rational ones are credibility and reliability. Um, the two non-rational ones are intimacy and, and low self-orientation. Uh, the, the credible ones and, and reliable, those are kind of easier to behavioralize, to metricize. Uh, the easiest way to increase trust, by the way, is through reliability. Just make a lot of promises and keep them. Uh, those two tend to have to do with how you get in the door. You get invited to bid on a large contract if the company has heard of you. If they've never heard of you, you're not likely to get in the door. So those tend to be uh, you know, the, the, the factors that get you in the door. 
once you're actually meeting with people, it's the other two factors that tend to take over. And those are the two factors that also tend to determine whether people instinctively react to you in a way that leads them to buy. So the buying decision is actually heavily influenced by the latter two. Now, when we ran, after we got to about 70,000 people who had taken this online version of the trust equation, we did an analysis, which is what you're referring to in that white paper. And I would say a couple of findings were, were absolutely tops. The biggest finding was that of the four factors, when you look at them equally, not overweighting self-orientation in the denominator as per the graphic, but weight them equally and run a regression analysis on them, it turns out that the most powerful explanatory factor in that four-factor model was intimacy. That one is a bigger predictor of trustworthiness than the other three were by, by some sizable margin. And there's, uh, uh, if I can just touch on some research outside of ours, uh, big survey firms like Gallup and Yankelovich have done a, a number of studies uh, over the years on most and least trusted professions. Now, they've done those in the UK, in the US, in Australia uh, for, for decades. And there's some very clear patterns. Bottom of the list, all the time, doesn't matter when you do it, doesn't matter what country, you see three professions. Used car salesmen, which we've talked about, politicians and lawyers. Although I must say in the UK, lawyers don't rank quite so low as they do in the US. But everybody kind of gets that, they know that. Everybody has trouble guessing the top most trusted profession. They usually think, well, doctors, uh, um, uh, teachers, uh, clergy used to be kind of high, not so much anymore. But in fact, the number one top highest trusted profession is nursing. Now, uh, it happens that nursing in the, in the U.S., I know the data here, is 89% female. It happens that on our test, women score more trustworthy than men. It happens that when I ask audiences, who do you think is more trustworthy than men, 99% of them, that's a literal statistic, 99% of my audiences guess, well, probably women, and they're right. Now, notice, again, nursing, 89% female, and if you think about what does it take, whether you're a male nurse or female nurse, what's the most critical trust equation component to be successful at nursing? I think it's obviously intimacy. People have to feel comfortable. We, we are literally and, and, and metaphorically naked in front of nurses. Their job is to make it absolutely okay. They see us that are most vulnerable and we feel uh, a good nurse makes you feel that way. So this all fits together. Intimacy, the most powerful factor. Uh, and by the way, there was one year in which nurses were not number one. They were number two. That year was 2002, and the top profession was firefighters. That was the year after 9-11. And the next year, of course, it was back to nurses, and it's been nurses ever since. So I think there's something very fundamental here. Uh, we, when it comes to trusting other people, uh, we put the most weight on, on uh, th this thing, this complex thing that we call intimacy, which has a lot to do with, with vulnerability. God, that's, that's so, so, so powerful. And I just love those. Thank, thank you for the statistics. That, 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 you know, there's, there's nowhere to hide in that one. <laughs> no, I think you're right. The logic's pretty tight. It's, it really is kind of compelling, isn't it? That's absolutely amazing. And what, what is sort of speaking to me as well, you know, and I'm interested in your view as maybe, maybe some of the client work you do, Charles, as well is, when, when this evidence is so compelling that yes. being a good human being and treating each other with respect and dignity and integrity <laughs> is, is a really good thing to do. 
I know where you're going. Yeah. Why is it so hard for people? Why is it so hard? Well, because we, human beings are not persuaded by evidence. We do not behave as, as, as purely rational, calculating, deductive, um, you know, intellectual, cognitive people. We behave as complex, emotional, social creatures. Uh, and you could, uh, this is why it, it's a bit of a, um, uh, there are a lot of people who want to prove, you know, that, that, uh, trusted companies are more profitable, which I believe, and there's some data that suggests it, or that if we become more trusted, we'll make more money, which I believe also. But the, the truth is anybody who's asking that question is not going to be persuaded by the answer. Um, we get persuaded by other things. So the reason people don't do this is partly because they don't believe the evidence, but mainly I think the root negative human emotion is fear, which we've already touched on. Why don't people trust more? Because they are afraid. What, you know, if I trust somebody, they might screw me over. Well, true. Uh, the problem is there's no trust without risk. If you eliminate risk entirely from the proposition, you've eliminated trust because it, it no longer has any, anything to do with it. There was that phrase that became famous with Reagan and Gorbachev, trust but verify. The problem is if you have to verify, it's not trust. Now, never mind trust at the international uh, uh, global relations level, that's, that's a whole other issue. But at an interpersonal level, if you're constantly operating from fear, you're not gonna trust anybody. And guess what? Here's another law of trust. If you don't trust people, they won't trust you. If you do trust people, they will trust you. If you don't trust them, they won't trust you. It's, uh, it's almost, uh, you know, Robert Cialdini, when he wrote about influence and persuasion, put heavy emphasis on the notion of reciprocity. And this is an area where it plays out. Um, trust is, is uh, uh, the, the way to influence people with trust is the biggest way is to trust them. I love this. I, 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 what resonates so much with me, and I'm, you know, my, my little gray cells are, are bouncing about <laughs> right now. Because, oh, good. Because what, what's jumping out, and you're helping with my own clarity, because I, I'm totally in the school of thought of how you approach it. And I'll be honest, you've gone even further towards the human side than I even expected today, if mm -hmm. I'm honest, ar around it, which is quite fascinating. So Good. in a world of prove it, prove it, evidence base it, ROI, right. I'm, re I'm really loving this message because it's a wake-up call for me to the very leaders that want the ROI and the evidence are the very leaders right. that are afraid to take the risk. I think that's fundamentally true. Uh, let me make it a little bit easier, though. Uh, I don't want, and I wouldn't want you or anybody else, to fall on the sword of the human stuff is more important than the data. No, uh, You'll never win that argument. But I think it's very useful to notice, let's look at sales, for example. And rather than saying which is more powerful, let's look at what is the role played by each of these things. Now, if you think about the, the sales process, take anybody's model, it doesn't matter who. You meet somebody, you go through exploratory things, you write an RFP, you have a, uh, a presentation, a decision is made, the sales granted, blah, 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 any model like that. The role of the data and of the more, uh, uh, non, uh, the more rational components of trust, the credible arrival, the role is at the front end of the sales process and at the back end. The role of the emotional components is in the middle. So think about the metaphor of job hunting. You wanna, you wanna hunt for a job, you prepare a resume. You send your resume out. The resume gets you in the door. Once you're in the door, throw the resume away. You, you will lose the interview if all you do is keep reciting from the resume. 
And yet that's what too many B2B salesmen do. They get a meeting, they get on the short list, they get invited in to give a presentation. And what do they do? They show up with 50 PowerPoint slides and start talking about themselves. It's as if they were reading from their resume in a job interview. That is the point at which all this interpersonal stuff, you know, human beings are finely tuned, emotional, social animals honed over eons of evolution. People make up their minds very quickly. They're subconsciously, all these things are what are going on in meetings and interactions. Now, after the decision is made, that non-rational decision, the rational stuff kicks back in. Nobody's going to say, oh, we gave this million-dollar contract to so-and-so because, well, I don't know, we kind of like them. We, I think we trust them. You're not going to say that in business. You're going to say, well, we made a great decision. These people you know, demonstrate the best value for money. They, they qualified competitively. Uh, they, we think they represent a nice fit with our approach and style and so forth. So it's like a sandwich. The hard stuff is at the front end and the back end. The soft stuff is in the middle. And that's actually what determines the, the decision to buy. Wonderful. Wow. No, thank you. Th thank you very much for that, 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 that clarity. That really, really resonates on, on multiple levels. Really does most, <laughs> resonates on multiple levels. That's brilliant. Good, 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 good. Really, really helpful. Um, how, how does this, for, for you and going forward for yourselves at Trusted Advisor Associates, Charles, what, how do you see trust playing out generally? Not, not, not just talking about politically, but generally for you and your business and B2B, your finance clients. You know, right. how... How do they receive that message, the message you've just given me? Is that something that's quite clear to them once you've taken them through it? Well, uh, there's a funny, I mean, our business has slowly been growing over the years. Um, it doesn't seem to be terribly cyclical. Um, and, and I think there's some self-selection. People who already kind of get it are very interested in learning more. Because if, if you think about it, uh, there's no upper limit to trust. There's no upper limit to how much you can be trusted or, or trusting. It's not like an ISO 9000, you know, quality, 99.9% .9 quality limit. So I think people who have a glimmer are very interested in, in learning more. People who don't have a glimmer or who are stuck in the uh, prove it to me uh, or who just, you know, don't think this issue rises quite to the top or, you know, we don't hear from them. So, uh, you know, the investment banking industry has never been particularly interested in this. The pharmaceutical industry has never been particularly interested in this. And, and um, I, I would argue it's, it's no accident that those industries tend to be uh, a little less on the trusted end of things, you know, public relations wise. Uh, there are several uh, exceptions uh, in the field of high net worth private wealth management. People absolutely get this. Um, advi financial advisors who are dealing at the high end of their profession understand that that discussion with a, between a client and advisor is one of the most emotional, non-rational, deep. Um, uh, one of my friends who's a financial advisor says people would sooner talk about their sex life than their money life. It's that personal. <laughs> it gets tied up with, um, you know, your, your, uh, your inheritance and your grandchildren, you know, very emotional topic. So there are a few exceptions, but, in, in general, we found a, uh, an audience in complex B2B sales, increasingly tech. That's an interesting one. Uh, in, in the whole tech sector, people are discovering, you know, we used to have cool widgets and, and apps and, and highly, and we sold to the IT department. Suddenly, all their solutions are becoming integrated. They're all moving into the cloud. They're becoming more strategic 
to their buyers, and which means that the level of buyer they're dealing with is going up. And suddenly a lot of them are saying, oh my gosh, we do not know how to have a, have a conversation uh, with a C-suite person or a non-tech buyer. Uh, oh my gosh, this trust stuff sounds kind of relevant. But of course they're right. So they're becoming more, re more receptive. So it depends. Oh, really, really fascinating. Really fascinating. Yeah, you, you give me a lot to think about today, Charles. I really, really, really appreciate that. And I know, I know it will do the same for my listeners as well, for sure. Oh, wonderful. That's absolutely brilliant. And it's, it's, what's interesting for me, if I look at the sort of sales profession over here in Europe, this, this side of the pond, I would say that we are, you know, if I give you an example of my own work organization, we've actually started using almost a Simon Sinek start with why approach, which sort of moves into some of what you're doing with the trust equation, which is actually this, actually, how do you actually give the people that you're serving an element of you, of, you, of who you really are? So right. the why, the sort of purpose part is almost coming to the intimacy part to some extent. Yeah, and I'm just sort big of, overlap. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing that in my head now because that's just something that's come to me in the moment. <laughs> sure, I mean, think about it. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna commit yourself and your reputation and your company and so forth, to a, you know, a, let's say a six digit number or something, you're gonna wanna feel confident uh, and you're not gonna be satisfied just with a, with a bunch of technical specs. This is why we wanna meet people. This is why, uh, you know, you, you can write as many pages into a contract as you want. There's still that nagging doubt. What if something goes wrong and you know it will? Are these people gonna be here to make it right to back it up? Are they going to answer the phone? Are they going to send the lawyers after me? Uh, it makes a lot of sense that the more complex, the more intangible, the higher the price ticket, the more you're going to want to deal with somebody uh, with whom you can create some bond of trust. Uh, that's not going away. Uh, that's brilliant. That's actually been reconfirmed. I don't know if you've seen the World Economic Forum report 2018 on the um, future of jobs. Ah, uh, no. Yeah, it's great. I'll actually attach it to the show notes. As, as oh, well. good. I'd love to see that. What they're showing, which is good news for you, <laughs> good news for us, yeah. is that um, sales is actually one of the roles that's expected to increase over the next 20, 25 years because of everything you're describing. You know, well, now that's fascinating because the sales profession itself, four or five years ago uh, at one of, the, one of these conferences, somebody famously predicted that the number of salespeople was going to drop by 90% or something. Wow. And I, I remember thinking, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear the World Economic Forum sees it differently. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think what, what's also interesting, some of their other work has been around the, the, the future skills that school children need. And I think that's going to play yes. on what we'll see in the future of work as well around more creativity, more problem solving, more collaboration. All of those things play perfectly into your trust equation. You know, that intimacy, that orientation piece. We can't do those, those truly human skills without that, can we? No, that's really true. And then all the passion for STEM education, you know, which is good in many ways, I, I think there's been an overdoing of that, moving away from, from liberal arts, from emotional, interpersonal skills. So whatever trends there are to, to move in that direction, hey, this, this is basic human interaction skills. We, we'd be crazy to uh, ignore that. And, and we have been to some extent ignoring it. So I'm glad to see some trends going the other way. Oh, that's great. Well, look, I'm conscious of time, Charles. So is it, um, before we get um, some details, how people can reach out to you, is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners around sort of trust or, or anything else we've discussed today as a sort of passing thought? Well, just maybe kind of a, a, a summary thought. If you'd like to be more trusted, um, you got two things you can do. A, be more trustworthy. 
and B, get better at trusting other people, which plays right into your vulnerability subject that I know you know so well. And that's, it's, it's that simple. That doesn't mean it's easy, <laughs> but it is that simple. Great. I love that. Great, great, cha- great challenge for our listeners today. So look, before you head off, Charles, how can people reach out to you, whether it be social media, websites, other mediums? Sure. I think the easiest way is uh, uh, the website, which is trustedadvisor.com. I must say this is spelled uh, trustedadvisor, O-R, not E-R.com. One word, trustedadvisor.com. Uh, on there, you'll find uh, there's about a thousand blog posts, about a hundred articles. You'll find links to our podcast. Uh, we have some interesting one-minute trust tip videos. Uh, the white paper you mentioned, uh, a dozen eBooks, lots of material, and it's all free. And we welcome people to come in. And they can also, by the way, take that trust quotient, the TQ quiz, for free. Uh, if you look at the upper right-hand corner of our website, you'll see a link to that uh, one as well, trustedadvisor.com. That's amazing. Well, look, I'd like to sort of say thank you, Charles, two ways. One, for joining me today, and uh, secondly, for your generosity around the, uh, the offer of all that content, and I'm sure people will reach out to you in due course, I'm sure. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Gary. I always enjoy talking with people who really get this material, as you obviously do. Thank you. No, thank you, too. Have a great day. All the best you, for you now. as well. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hi there, just Gary Turner wrapping up this awesome podcast with Charles Green. Just so many takeaways. I just want to share a few of the key ones um, with you that really resonated with me. I think one of them that jumped out was this regression analysis that Charles and his team ran um, during their white paper, where he found out that one of the most powerful planetary factors of their four-factor model was the intimacy. And he stated very clearly that it's important, um, the importance of vulnerability of going first to build trust. And I just think for it to come out so much further ahead than any other element of their model just shows you just how important um, vulnerability is and intimacy is um, to human relationships. And it really invigorates me and reinforces my energy in this area. Another thing that I found really interesting was um, Charles' reference to the, the most number one trusted profession being nursing. And that just makes so much sense. However, it also made me think about David Graeber's work with bullshit jobs, because I'm pretty much sure anywhere in the world, it's certainly the same in the UK, is that nursing is not a particularly well-paid profession, yet it's one of the most trusted professions. Then if you actually pivot that with some of those jobs in the US that are seen as the worst or poorest trusted jobs, such as lawyers, um, etc., it's really interesting that those roles are exceptionally highly paid. So there's this really bizarre paradox that we reward mistrust, but we penalize trust. And I think there's something deeply wrong and endemic in that particular paradox that we have um, within the world of work currently. And it's something I'm still trying to digest. And it must be something we can do more proactively to, to try and turn that around. I think one other area where that is possible is Scott Santons and his work around universal basic income. Um, He was on, I think it was episode 17, where he spoke about how more people would actually do the work they love rather than do the work that they have to do just to put money on the table, food on the table. So, yeah, there's something further in that around this trust, trust pay um, paradox. I think something else that I really took away as as super powerful was 
one of the the most positive and strong messages that we can offer, particularly as salespeople, but I believe as anybody, is the right trust-based answer. To quote Charles, is sometimes, I don't know. To be vulnerable enough to say, I don't have the answer or I don't know can be one of the best ways to build trust. And I think that's a really, really important message for all of us to take away. One other thing I just wanted to, to leave as a final reflection um, for me following this podcast was when Charles mentioned that human beings are not persuaded by evidence. We do not behave as purely rational, deductive, intellectual, cognitive people. And I think this is really interesting as I go back and forth between the evidence-based discussion as I have done over the last seven days. It does come back a little bit to my my quandary, which is certain people seek evidence to try and keep their power base, I feel. Um, you know, to keep them in power, it allows them to, to dispose or dissuade um, inclusion. It allows them to dissuade egalitarian ways of working. Yet at the same time, I totally do see the argument that by evidencing that something works, it is proof um, that a certain way of working or a certain way of being is 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 of um, of higher value. So I'm still going back and forth on this whole evidence-based discussion, but I do need to do more work to understand it. So I've got so many more takeaways than that, and I hope that you have some as well. I found this an absolutely fascinating and really, really engaging conversation. I thank Charles so much for that, and uh, please do reach out to him or myself should you wish to discuss any of the topics further. Um, you, trust is actually one of the, the, the founding pillars of my listening organization model that I'm looking to try and pilot with other organizations. Should you be one that is interested to do that, please do reach out to me. But in the meantime, please do find Charles's contact details in the show notes of this podcast and if you enjoy this podcast please would you rate it on itunes under value through vulnerability and until the next podcast look after yourself and i hope to see you soon goodbye